0: We are in part four of our series on the book of Jude, entitled "Contend for the Faith." It's been an eye-opening book. Uh, it's it's a it's a timeless book. It's a book that we need for this day and age. It's interesting that in the canon of Scripture, Jude is placed right before the book of Revelation. Which talks about in the, in the times to come, during that time of trial, during that time of tribulation, there'll be many false teachers, there'll be many, many false prophecies, uh, many false Christs that will arise amongst us. And so Jude sounds the alarm. He says, wake up, church. He said, he said there's a battle going on, and, and we are to contend for the faith. And Jude tells us these individuals have crept into the church. That they're secretly among us. These aren't outsiders. These are intruders. These are people that have came in and they're amongst us. They may be in our churches. They may be in our universities. They may be in our seminaries. They may be in our Sunday school classes. And they're out there and they're teaching heresy. They're teaching false doctrine. And they're leading people astray by their teaching. And he, he tells us that we ought to contend for the faith. So, so how do we contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints? As Jude becomes, comes to the end of his, his little letter, uh, he gives us some last-minute instructions. This is the morning, we'll look at verses 17 through 23 under the title, Until He Comes. Until He Comes. looks at what Jude says. But dear friends... Remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Jude sounds the alarm. And as we, we wind down this, this passage today, we see that uh, there's some things we need to do until he comes. That's the title. Until he comes. Until he comes, Remember. Verses 17 through 19 kind of wraps up Jews' teaching on on false teachers. Notice what he says. He says, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. Remember in this context means remembering to the point that it affects your situation. It's not so much remembering like you, uh, what was that guy's name? I couldn't remember it. It's not that type of remembering. It's remembering to the point that what you remember impacts you today. It affects the way you live. It affects what you do. Now, we're told throughout the New Testament that many false prophets are going to come amongst you. Many false teachers are going to rise amongst you. Uh, we see it throughout the, throughout the gospel narratives. We see it in the, in the epistles. Uh, we see it in the book of, in, in letter of 1 John. We see it everywhere we look. But there were probably teachings that the apostles gave that we don't have record of. But the writers, the readers of Jude would know exactly what he was talking about. And Jude says, do not forget what these individuals told you. Do not forget what the apostles told you. We too need to be reminded of what was taught in Scripture, lest we fall into the trap of these false teachers. Notice what he says in this passage of verse 18. They said to you in the last times. That phrase last times, not talking about the end times. That phrase, last times, when it's used in the Bible, is talking about the time between Jesus' first return and his first coming and his second coming. So that includes us right now. It's not just the the end time church, whenever that might be, next year, next 10 years, next 100 years. It's not just talking about them. It's, It's talking about right now. At this moment, there's false teachers. We talked about false wolves within the church. This is what he's talking about in the last times. So these words are applicable to us. He goes, what kind of people are these? What kind of false teachers are they? Notice what he says. He says, in the last times, there will be scoffers. We've been talking about them for three weeks. So let me just kind of summarize it in in a nutshell. These individuals are people who ridicule, who reject, and ruin any authority in your life. They ridicule, they reject, and they ruin any spiritual authority in your life whatsoever. Why? Why do they do it? Jude tells us. They will be scoffers who what? Who will follow their own ungodly desires. That's the reason they need to eliminate authority. That's the reason they need to get rid of any spiritual authority in their life. Why? So they can do what they want to do, when they want to do it, however they want to do it, with whomever they want to do it. These scoffers, that's the way they work. Listen, we see this in society today. We see it in individuals that say, you know what preachers seem to do? They just need to focus on the love of Jesus. Just preach love. Just preach love. That sounds good, does it not? I mean, who would ever condemn anybody for preaching about the love of Jesus? Say, so preach on the love of Jesus and never raise a moral standard. Preach on the love of Jesus, never talk about sin, never talk about these type of things. He said, we don't want to create a barrier between people coming to know the love of Jesus. When you hear people doing that, what they're really trying to do is justify their own lifestyle is what they're trying to do. They want to justify their lifestyle, just make it easier on everyone else. John MacArthur said this, I don't normally quote people, but John MacArthur said this tragically. There are many in the contemporary church who also lack spiritual discernment. Such people are far better at staying in tune with cultural trends than they are at appreciating and understanding biblical doctrine. In some cases, whole churches have shifted their focus from the clear teachings of Scripture to the felt needs of sinners. They want to make the church service comfortable and non-confrontational. As a result, the messages they champion are theologically weak And the people they serve are doctrinally naive. Those churches are defenseless against error. Jude says, beware of these individuals. Beware of them. Take note of them. Because the only reason they're doing this is to satisfy their ungodly desires. What do they do? He tells us. He said, these are the men who divide you. They create division within the church. He says, they're among us. Remember, they're among us. Because they're among us, they create division. We're not worried about people outside the church creating division. They don't care. It's the people in the church. It's the people in denominations that create division within the organization. And these individuals will rally support for them. And they will rally support for their agenda. And it creates conflict. And it creates crisis within the church. These are the ones that say their way is the right way. Their way is the only way, and because of that, many are led astray because of the teaching of these individuals. Look, and Jude does not water down the truth. Uh, look at what he said. That's what I like about him. Verse 19, he said, these are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. Here's what he's saying. They're not believers. That's what he's saying. I mean, let's just cut to the chase. He's not, not, you know, fluffy. Well, you know, they they might have fallen away from the grace. No, these guys don't know Jesus. They're not believers. If they're not believers, that means they're unbelievers. And if they're in the church, they're heretics, is what he's saying in this passage. It made me think of this week as I thought about this passage. I remember a story in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And you know, they pop off and say, oh, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. And others say you're one of the other prophets. And then Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And then Peter answers, he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is a great confession. That is a confession that everybody in the world needs to make. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But then the story continues. And once Jesus tells them that, then he tells them, hey, the Son of Man is going to die He's going to be crucified, and on the third day, he's going to rise from the dead. Then Peter says, this will never happen, Lord. This will never happen. And then Peter, uh, Jesus utters some of the harshest words in Scripture when he says this, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. I thought about that old phrase. And I think that describes or reveals the heart of of an unbeliever. It reveals the heart of a false teacher. They have in mind the things of man and not the things of God. That's how you identify them. That's how you know these individuals. These are the people that cause division. And Jude says, until he comes, we ought to remember these people that cause division, that cause strife, that cause conflict, And the thing is, it shouldn't surprise us. Listen, we shouldn't be caught off guard about this. It's prophesied throughout Scripture. Paul even says, look, they had them in the Old Testament. Guess what? We have them in the New Testament. Uh, They're they're still there. It shouldn't surprise us. But let me give you even one more. As a matter of fact, we ought to start looking for adversaries in the church. You know why? Because Satan is not going to preoccupy his time in the church and ain't doing anything. Why? Why? If a church is already dead, Satan says, no point in me causing any trouble there. They got, you know. So if, if we see conflict and, and we see chaos and we see confusion within the church, you know what, I'm gonna step back and say, well, God must be up to something now because Satan's up to something. So we need to look for those things and we need to, we need to be aware of those things. So until he comes, remember, remember. That's what he tells us. He says, get your antenna up. Red alert. Pay attention. Second, until he comes, remain. How do we protect ourselves from these false teachers? We've been talking about it for three weeks, three weeks and a third today. Uh, how do we protect ourselves? Look at verse 20. Jude says, but you. That's a big but, guys. But you. When he says, that, he says, in contrast to these false teachers. In contrast then, he said, here's what you need to do. He goes, you need to fortify yourself. You need to build yourself up. You need to strengthen yourself. Uh, You need to become the warrior that you're supposed to be. First, we ought to spend time in the Word of God. Notice what he says. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. When you see that phrase, build yourselves up in the most holy faith, it refers back to Jude verse 3 contend for the faith. He's not talking about your, your faith in Jesus Christ. He's not talking about what you believe about him. He's talking about your footing on sound doctrine, building yourself up in the faith, contending for the faith, that faith that you believe, that sound doctrine that you hang on to. He says that's what you're supposed to be doing. It's a commitment to sound biblical truth. How else are we going to contend against false teachers, against false leaders, and false doctrine if we don't know what true doctrine is? If we don't know what the real truth of God's Word is? So how do you do it? You do it through the Word of God. You build yourself up in the Word of God. Listen, it does not happen by osmosis. Let me tell you what you do, you don't do, But <laughs> many of you want to do. You want to go to bed at night, put your Bible under your pillow, and when you wake up in the morning, you just start reciting Scripture. Doesn't happen that way. Uh, it, it's not going to work. Uh, no matter how much you wish it would happen, it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't happen that way. It takes work. It, it, it doesn't happen by 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. Listen to some preacher preach on a passage. Now, that helps, and I want to encourage you to be here, all right? that's important, but it doesn't happen that way. It only happens when you involve yourself in serious Bible study. How do you do that? You get involved with a group of people. Why? Because you can ask questions. You can discuss it, and iron sharpens iron. As you're in there, you learn from one another, and you can also be taught by those that may be more spiritually mature on that particular subject than you are. So you do that, you do that on Sunday morning, but you do it during the week. You get involved in the study of God's Word. Some of you have, have quarterlies in your Sunday school class. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about when a quarterly. What that quarterly is designed to do is not to sit on your shelf and collect dust. It's designed for you to go home and every day there's an assignment. And you read that and you spend time in God's Word so that when you come to church on that next Sunday and you said that Sunday school class, guess what? You spend a whole week in God's Word on that passage. You're able to contribute to the discussion. Because you've learned something. You've been taught something. And then everybody else, the 10 or 11 people that are in there, and they've been studying the Word during the week, guess what? They get to contribute well. You know what it doesn't become? It doesn't become a lecture by a teacher who did all the studying for you and is now trying to spoon-feed you what you should be taking meat of the Word instead of the milk of a babe. That's what you should be doing. That's the way it's designed. That's what he's talking about here. He's not talking about a Sunday morning preaching, sir. He says, man, get yourself in the Word of God. Notice what he says. He says, build yourselves up. He doesn't say preacher, build them up. He doesn't say Sunday school teacher, build them up. He says, you take responsibility. You build yourselves up. Listen, I can't make you study the Word of God. I can't make you. As a matter of fact, I can't make you do anything that you don't want to do. You're going to do what you want to do. Period. Period. All we can do is create an environment and encourage you and hopefully help you. But we can't make you do anything that you don't want to do. In the end, you have to take personal responsibility. Jude says, exercise your spiritual muscles. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Look at the second thing you're supposed to do. Spend time talking to God. He goes, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in The Holy Spirit. He's not talking about tongues here. He's not talking about, you know, praying in ecstatic utterances. That's not what he's talking about. What I want you to see is the progression of thought here. Notice this progression because if you don't, we get it backwards. God will not come... God will not honor the prayers of a lazy Christian who will not apply himself to the study of God's Word. The study of God's Word comes first, then you pray. You see, we often get that, that thing. We want God to provide an answer through a miraculous prayer when God normally is saying, hey, my answer is in my word. Get in my word. And once you find the word, then you say, God, thank you for helping me find this passage that speaks to my heart. They see, we get it backwards. Uh, we want God to solve all of our problems. And God says, yeah, you know, I'll probably already solved that in the Bible. Just get in it and you'll find it. That doesn't mean you can't pray. That doesn't mean you can't pray for discernment. But never use prayer as an excuse not to do serious Bible study. You need to get into God's Word, building up your muscles by by spending time with the Word of God, spending time talking to God. I've just often discovered that when I'm seeking the answer in prayer, that many times God's already given it to me in, in the Word of God. He's already provided it for me. I'm looking for that miraculous answer. But he's provided his word. How do you know if you're praying in the spirit? How do you know? You know you're praying in the spirit when you're more interested in his kingdom coming than your kingdom. You know you're praying in the spirit when you're more interested in his will being done than your will being done. That's when you know you're praying in the spirit. If you're more interested in God building up your kingdom than you are about him building up your kingdom, guess what? You're not praying in the spirit. That's what he's trying to tell us. Third, keep yourselves in the love of God. Look at verse 21. Keep yourselves in God's love. This one's a little harder to diagnose. A little bit more difficult. Uh, That word keep means to guard. It means to secure. What I like to say is, is tie yourself to the love of God. Just shackle yourself to the love of God. Because when you look at this, you almost get the feeling it says, does this mean that God's going to stop loving me? Doesn't it say somewhere in Scripture that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? Yeah, it does. It does. Nothing can separate us from God and His love. But here, this this phrase he's talking about is, is keep ourselves in the love of God. It says there's something we need to do. There's something we must do to keep ourselves in the love of God. Many of us are like the prodigal son. Let me ask you a question. When the prodigal son left his father, did the father ever stop loving the prodigal son? Of course not. His love was just as real, just as genuine as when the prodigal was away from him. As a matter of fact, if we, when we, as we read the story, we see that the, the father constantly was looking for the son to return. What happened is the son removed himself from the presence of his father, from the blessing of his father, from the place where he could receive the love of his father. The love never changed. And that's what happens to so many of us. In a, in, in a similar way, what God is saying, what Jude is saying under the inspiration of the, of the Spirit of God is the burden for us to stay in the love of God. It, the, 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 for us to stay in the love of God, the burden falls on us. We have to do our part. We have to do, take responsibility for staying in the love of God. How do we do it? I've thought about that. How do we do it? I want someone cut to the chase. Jesus gives us the answer. And he gives us the example in John 15 verses 9 and 10. This is what Jesus says. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in my love. Can we get any simpler than that? It's not four steps and four three diagnoses. It's one step. He said, you want to be remain in my love? Obey me. Obey me. It's that simple. Obey him. How do you obey him? You apply the teachings of this word to your life. You don't just read it. Oh, wasn't that a great little story? Oh, I just loved it so much. No. How does that story affect your life? How do you keep yourself in the love of God? Remain in him. That's what we're supposed to do. Fourth, this all has to do, how how can you remain? Wait expectantly for his return. Look at verse 21 again. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. You will live your life in an exciting way. Live your life as if Jesus can come today. Every day. Live as if Jesus can come today. When you wake up in the morning, oh, he could come today. He could come today. Man, that'll change the way you live your life. I remember hearing a a story, true story, Rachel, (laughs) true story. I remember reading the story about a preacher who was preaching on the second coming of Jesus. And he decided that that he would use the very phrase that, that Jesus used in the King James. Behold, I am coming quickly. And so he would say, Behold, I'm coming quickly. And every time he would say it, he would step a little closer. Behold, I am coming quickly. He stepped a little closer. Behold, I am coming quickly. More intensity. He got up the edge. He goes, Behold, I'm coming quickly. (laughs) And he fell into the orchestra pit, right into the tuba player's lap. Oh, he was so embarrassed. He said, Oh, I'm so embarrassed. I'm so sorry, the tuba player. Oh, no, no, it's my fault. You told me three times you were coming. Listen, listen, Jesus is coming. He's going to come. Whether you believe it or not, he's going to come. Jesus, the fact that that truth does not hinge on whether you believe it or not, he's coming. Jesus is coming and we ought to live our lives waiting expectantly for his return. Listen, if you lived your life that way, guess what? There might be some places you might not want to be. There might be some things you might not want to be doing. But the reverse is just as true. If he was coming today or tomorrow, there might be some places you might want to be. And there might be some things you don't, you would want to be doing. It's, that's the way you are to live your life every day. Until he comes. Until he comes. Remain. Wait. Spend time in God's Word. Spend time in prayer. Keep yourselves in the love of God and wait for His return. Finally, until He comes, reach out. Verses 22 through 23. Listen to what He says. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. What's he talking about here? He's talking about being a witness. He's talking about reaching out to other individuals. I know what you're saying. Oh, preacher. Oh, I don't know how to witness. Let me tell you something. Everybody's a witness. The question is, what kind of witness are you? That's really the question. You can witness to what you know. Maybe you don't know all the scripture. Man, maybe all you know is John three sixteen and the gospel according to you. Share it. Paul did it three times in the book of Acts. He said, this is what I know. Every one of us is a witness. So what type of individuals? He says there's three types of individuals we ought to reach out to in this passage. First, we reach out to the confused. He said, be merciful to those who doubt. These are those individuals who have become confused by the teaching of the false teachers. Paul worried about this at Corinth. He worried that the believers in Corinth would be led astray from their sincere and pure devotion to Christ like Eve was led astray by the serpent. He said, I'm worried about that. He was also worried about the church at Galatia, that they, they, would, they would leave the authentic gospel and turn to another gospel, which really was not even a gospel. He said that they would, they would, they would leave it. He was worried about those things. People become confused and we need to guide them back. They become confused about, about truth and about, about doctrine and about biblical truth and we need to guide them back. It's all the more reason that we need to know what we believe so we can contend for the faith that was once for all passed down to us and trusted to us. So we reach out to the confused. Second, we reach out to the convinced. Notice what He says, Verse 23, snatch others from the fire and save them. Let me ask you a question. If you saw somebody in a fire, would you save them? I think most of us would do whatever we could. We'd do our best to try to save that individual. That's what he's talking about. These are individuals that they're, they're, on, the, they're on the brink of the fire and they need to be saved. James chapter 5 verse 19 to 20 says this. If one of you should wonder from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Notice how Jude describes it here. He says snatch. Uh, that, that word uh, used for snatch means with force to violently grasp them. Snatching them from that place. These are individuals that they are being singed by the fire. They they are so close to the fire that it's burning the hair on the skins. And and your job is going and pull them away from that fire, snatch them away. Remember the old song we always sing? I think it goes, rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. That's what we're supposed to do. But I'm afraid what we do is we spend a lot of time singing, not a lot of time snatching. I bet you you could probably count on your hands how many times, well, you probably have sang that song a lot more times than you've snatched anybody from the fire. This is what Jude is telling us in this passage. Third, we reach out to the committed. Look at that last verse, that last phrase. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. These are individuals who are deeply committed to false teaching. Uh, These are the people that said, man, they have bought into it. They buy into it. They may even be teachers of it. Jews says, we're supposed to witness to them. We're supposed to reach out to them. But at the same time, we have to protect ourselves from their deception. We do our best to reach them at the same time we protect ourselves from them. He's very clear in this protection. Uh, he, He uses a phrase here that's very difficult to translate. But let me just give you the modern day vernacular. He's saying just like somebody doesn't want to handle someone else's dirty underwear. He says don't get so close to these people. That's what he's talking about. The clothing uh, the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. It's the undergarments stained by their bodily fluids. Can we do that? Didn't go into more detail here. He says, just like you don't want to do that, avoid these individuals. Protect yourselves from their corruption, from their evil, and from their deceit. But at the same time, tell them about Jesus and try to witness to them in the best way that you can. We must be wise in how we reach these individuals with the good news of Jesus Christ. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are commanded to contend for the faith until he comes. Until he comes. We must defend the faith, and at the same time, we must pronounce our faith. We cannot waver. Uh, We cannot vacillate in this We must be continually proactive in what God would have us to do. And in so doing, we save ourselves and we also save others. That's what Jude is trying to get us to understand. That's what he wants us to grasp in this passage of Scripture. Now, I recognize in a a building, this large, just many people here, that maybe not every one of you have been snatched from the fire yet. So just indulge me for two or three minutes. I will not belabor this. I just want to tell you that Jesus loves you very much. He loves you so much that he was willing to endure the fires of hell for you, if need be. The Bible says that God demonstrated his love for you in this, that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. And he loves you so much that he doesn't want you to spend eternity in hell. He doesn't want you to live... constantly in the fire. He says, I have made a way for you to escape that. I've made a way for you to find forgiveness from your sins. And the way that I did it is I paid the price for your sins. He said, I stood in your place and I took the judgment that falls upon you. And if you will believe that, If you admit that you are a sinner, say, God, I am a sinner. I have messed up royally. I cannot live my life in a way that honors you. The Bible says that all of your righteous acts are like filthy rags to God. In other words, there's nothing you can do that will ever earn God's favor. The only thing you can do is say, I can't, but Jesus can. And you admit that you're a sinner and you believe in Jesus Christ. You believe that he paid the price for your sins, that he purchased you, that he paid the debt that you could never pay. He did it. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because we've all sinned, we're all going to pay the wages for our sin, which is death. But the Bible says, to all of them who have believed in Jesus, to them, he, Jesus, gave the right to become a child of God. And let me tell you, God would never send one of his children to a fiery pit. But you've got to be a child of God. So you've got to admit that you're a sinner. I mean, you've got to admit that. If you can't admit you're a sinner, you're not ready to believe that Jesus paid the price for your sins. So you've got to admit that you're a sinner. You've got to believe in Jesus Christ. And then you've got to commit your life to him. I said, okay, Jesus, I admit it, I believe it. So because of what you've done, I'm making a commitment to live my life for you from now on. Not to save me, but to demonstrate my salvation. And you've got to done that. You've got to do that. Because Jesus said, all those who love me, they will obey me. And you know the, you know the verse. Most popular verse in the world. For God so loved you that He gave His one and only Son, that if you will believe in Him, you will not perish, but have eternal life. Do you see what I just did there? I just put you in there because I want you to know that God loves you that much that He died for you and He sent His Son to purchase you from the slave market of sin. God loves you. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, I want you to hear that. There is not a sin you have ever committed or you will ever commit that God cannot forgive. I know us. I know so many think, you know, I, I, I can't be forgiven. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Do not believe that lie from Satan. That is a lie from Satan. When Satan says you can't be forgiven, God says, yes, you can. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. That's why Paul says, therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If Jesus doesn't condemn you, then no one can condemn you. There is salvation, but it's only found in Jesus Christ. So some of you this morning, you need to admit that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus Christ, and commit your life to him. I don't know who you are, but you know who you are. And more importantly, God knows who you are. And right now, he's calling you to come to him.